Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. We are continuing our study of the book of Romans, and I would ask you to please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, this is God's Word. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, Sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, as it is. 
It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Sadly, this chapter, and particularly the latter part of it, is a real favorite for many, many people. It's like, that's my life verse. The good that I would, I cannot do. The evil that I would not, that is what I do. I mean, that just describes me to a T. I just, you know, I can't change. I've tried. just can't do it. Can't, can't change. And uh, I, just, I just have to recognize God loves me just the way I am. God loves you, and he's not going to leave you just the way you are if you're a child of God. You are a work in progress. When you're born again, your position in Christ is righteousness. God not only forgives your sins, but he imputes to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do we still experience temptation? Yes. Do we still sin sometimes? Yes. Is that like, no problem? I've got all that righteousness of Jesus Christ. It really doesn't matter. I can just, you know, I mean, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No way. Absolutely not. Certainly not. That's what chapter 6 was about. We're saved by grace, not by works, but that doesn't mean that our works don't matter. It's that now we're supposed to be doing the works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do as an expression of gratitude to God for what he has done for us. So Paul in chapter six tells us over and over and over again, you need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You were baptized, You were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. So you need to be seeking daily to do His will. Psalm 145 says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Have you heard about Legacy 145? 
This program gives you an opportunity to provide a safe haven for future generations of children at Wares Valley Ranch. While at the ranch, children from all across the country have their practical needs met, but most importantly, they hear about a Heavenly Father who loves them so much that He sent His only Son to die on the cross to pay for their sins. Healing and hope are found at the ranch through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your legacy can continue that message to children in crisis. You can learn more at wvr.org. Click on the Legacy 145 button. That's wvr.org. And click on the icon that says Legacy 145. Or you can give us a call at 866-41-ABIDE. God bless you, and have a great day. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is In chapter 7, let me read you just the end of chapter 6 again because it flows right into chapter 7. Chapter 6, verse 22 and following. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. The context of this chapter is absolutely essential. In chapter 6, we learn that we have been set free from the law and now called to life in the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Again, focus on chapter 6, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. So Paul in chapter 7 begins with the illustration of marriage, and in verse 4 he says, You died to the law through the body of Christ. And then in verse 5, he says, we were controlled by the sinful nature. Verse 6, now dying to what once bound us. We have been released from the law. Okay? We were in that condition. Now we're not. Now we're not. We've been set free. So the question that Christians have debated for centuries, millennia. The question is, beginning in verse 7 and following, what is Paul describing? Is he describing before we were saved? Or is he describing our current situation? I believe strongly that the context of chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 makes it clear we are no longer slaves to sin. Okay? Because God's inspired word says we're not. We're not slaves to sin any longer. Does that mean that what Paul describes doesn't, that's not something we can relate to? This feeling that, you know, I, I want to do the right thing and I end up doing the wrong thing. 
I want to not do that anymore, and I do it again. No, I think any honest Christian can relate to that. Okay? That's the way we feel sometimes. There is a real struggle, but in my study Bible, the heading over the first part of the chapter is an illustration from marriage. The heading over verse 7 and following is struggling with sin. And I want to suggest to you that's not the right heading. Not if you're following Paul's argument. Instead, I would submit that a better title for verse 7 and following is the purpose of the law. What was the purpose of the law? If I've been set free from the law, oh, why was the law there? What Paul describes is why God gave us the law. Look again at verse 7 and following. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if it hadn't said do not covet. The end of verse 8, for apart from law, sin is dead. Verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Well, then, is, is the law a bad thing? No. Verse 13, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. The purpose of the law was to show us that we had a problem we couldn't solve. That was the benefit of the law. And that's a good thing, because we needed to know that. I've told you before, I would not have let the doctor operate on me if I hadn't been convinced that I needed an operation. You know, if the reason the doctor wants to cut on you is because his son is needing braces, or a new car, or whatever, you know, my wife and I have been thinking of going on a vacation. We need some more money. I'd like to cut you open. You know, no, no. But if the doctor says, you know, there's a significant chance this is going to be a malignancy. We need to get it out. Oh, okay. Go for it. Okay. Or, right now, this is not malignant, but this is the type of tissue that turns into cancer if you let it keep growing. Uh, take it. Take it. Now, here's the thing. God gave us his law so that we would realize, I've got a deadly problem. The wages of sin is death, and I didn't even know what sin was until the law came along. Well, what about people who don't have Bibles? Actually, Paul's already addressed that earlier in the book of Romans. God's put the law on their hearts so that everybody everywhere knows that there is right and wrong. Everybody knows that. The ardent relativist who says there is no right and wrong has just declared an absolute and if you take their car, they will say you did wrong. Okay? Because everybody, everybody, everybody knows down deep inside that there is such a thing as right and wrong. And what the law does is to show us 
that we've all messed up. I don't have to scorn you because you haven't lived up to my standard. Let me just ask you, have you lived up to yours? Do you think that you've lived a perfect life? No, we've all messed up. We all know we've messed up. That's the purpose of the law. And so then Paul describes what that feels like. What it feels like is that I want to do this and instead I fall short. I want to avoid this and instead I fall in. Over and over in our lives, we discover our need for a Savior. That's the argument here. That's the argument here. Let me point you to a few scriptures. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. That's what Paul's describing here. Our slavery to sin, because we've all sinned. Galatians 5 13 through 26. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Did you hear that? Do you see how that dovetails with what he's saying here in Romans? Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Do you hear what he says? We used to live that way, but not anymore. Does that mean Christians never sin? No, it means we don't live that way. We don't live in it. When we sin, if you're a Christian, it's like, oh, 
I got to get rid of that. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't, wanna, I, I don't want to live like that. That's what happens when God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. You hate sin. And the wonderful thing about heaven is there won't be any more sin there. It's not just, you know, I will no longer want to sin. It's totally off the table. Well, so, is there a struggle against sin in this life for the Christian who has the Holy Spirit living in him? Yes. Yes. We still live in the presence of sin, and we still sometimes get drawn into it. But here's the thing. When it happens, we're not just like we were before. We're not saying, oh, I've got to follow the rules. We're saying, oh, God, forgive me. Please change me. I don't want that in my life. I want to live for you. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's still a struggle. The difference is now there's victory. What Paul describes sounds like there's no victory available. The good that I would, I cannot do. He describes himself here as, as being a slave. He talks about himself as if he's a slave. I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin and death. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from the body, this body of death. Is there any hope? Yes. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. So God shows me you should not have done that. But he doesn't say you shouldn't have done that. I'm done with you. He says you shouldn't have done that. Well, How do I overcome it? Where is the victory? He tells us in chapter 6 and in chapter 8. The victory is that I need to identify as being in Christ and no longer a slave to sin. I need to consider myself dead to that. Sin is no longer my master. Well, then why would you sin? Because I am a bozo. Okay? I still mess up sometimes because I fail to believe what God says and I believe the lies. In my flesh, there's no good thing. But I'm not living in the flesh anymore. I want to walk in the Spirit. That's what God calls me to. That's what God calls you to. It's not like, well, you know, it must be wonderful to be a pastor. (laughs) We have the same faith. Jesus Christ has raised us out of death and brought us into life. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you have already his spirit in you and you will live with him eternally. And let me tell you something it's going to get better. It's going to get a whole lot better. It's going to be such glory that we can't even imagine it right now. Do not be discouraged. And don't try to do this on your own. You cannot live the Christian life in your own power. 
You have to live it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with Him. Trusting Him to work His plan through you. He will. He promised. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks this day, rejoicing in the fact that you have loved us with an everlasting love, that we are yours because of grace, not because of our performance. We believe your promises are true, so help us to repent and believe the good news. Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, and so we come to you with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.